welcome to Mashley at the Movies. I'm Matt. I'm Ashley. And we are joined again today by Christy Lemire. Hi, Christy. Hello. So good to see you guys. It's good to see you, too. Uh, Christy is a former film critic with the Associated Press. Uh, she has uh, her own podcast, Be Fast All Day, uh, on Twitter, called Breakfast All Day, uh, regularly. And she is a film critic for RogerEbert.com. And today she's here to talk with us about her number one movie of 2021. <laughs> it's out in theaters now. And it's called Licorice Pizza. Christy, why don't you tell us about it? So I love this movie. And I will admit that I was totally in the bag for this movie before I even set foot in the theater because it is my childhood too. Paul Thomas Anderson wrote and directed it, grew up in the San Fernando Valley in the 1970s. And so did I. Um, and he's a couple of years older than I am. And this takes place in 1973. So we were both toddlers at this point. We were both very, very young. But the... The vibe he creates is so relatable, and he so clearly loves this part of Los Angeles. For those of you guys who are listening who maybe don't know the Valley um, or have not seen his previous films that are set there, including Boogie Nights and Magnolia, um, San Fernando Valley is this mass of suburban sprawl just over the hill from Los Angeles and from Beverly Hills and from Hollywood. And it's just total suburbia. It's just like town after town of you know, mid-century modern tract houses and um, mini malls and things get torn down and then a giant double-decker mini mall will get put up in its place. And so um, I have great fondness from it. I, I grew up in, in Woodland Hills, which is in the far, far west part of the valley. This all takes place in like Encino, Sherman Oaks. So it stars Alana Hyam from the rock band Hyam. And this is her first film. And Cooper Hoffman, who is Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. It's also his first film, which is pretty amazing when you think about it because they have to carry this whole thing. And it's kind of like this long, shaggy, meandering kind of walk and talk. And so to even begin to try to describe the plot to you would be pointless because it's really like one episode after another after another. But the through line of it is that Alana Hyam plays this young woman named Alana who is in her early 20s and is kind of trying to figure out what to do with her life, trying to figure out who she is. And throughout the course of the film, she kind of tries on different jobs, different personalities. I mean, they're so detailed with this and it's down to like her clothing changes ever so slightly depending on what she's doing. And um, it all begins when she meets Cooper Hoffman's character. His name is Gary. Um, and he is 15, but he's got the swagger of somebody much older he's a, a child star who's kind of like aging out of being a cute kid child star but he's got this like maturity and this confidence that make him kind of irresistible and so it's about their friendship and how they go from one adventure to the next one business venture to the next describing it makes it sound totally boring i realize this is really more about the grace notes within the individual scenes, within the individual moments. You have these fantastic brief cameos from Sean Penn, from Bradley Cooper. And it's how they kind of like fall in and out of a flirtation with each other, fall in and out of friendship with each other, and both try to figure out who they are in the Valley in the 70s. Um, I never knew where it was going, and I couldn't wait to find out where we would end up next. It's just about the mood of this place where like anything seems possible. It's the seventies. And so like the social mores and the rules that we now know of life, like didn't apply 
<laughs> like anything, can, you have the sense from this, it's like it's joyous and it's funny and it's weird, but there's this dark undercurrent throughout the whole thing where like anything could happen at any moment and are you ready for that? And I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I loved it too. And you know, the, the title, Licorice Pizza, is never explained in the, in the movie. I can and- explain it. Yeah, go ahead and explain it. <laughs> <laughs> Licorice Pizza was a record store chain in Southern California in the 1970s and 80s. I used to go to the one on Topanga Canyon Boulevard across from the Topanga Mall where I worked my senior year in high school at the B. Dalton Bookstore. <laughs> um, and uh, there were a bunch of them. And you would go and buy albums there back when albums were a thing and then cassettes were a thing. And uh, so that's, the, I think it's meant to be evocative. They never even go into a licorice pizza location. They never even buy a record. I but know. Uh, that's what the title comes from. Yeah, I, I had to look it up afterwards because <laughs> I was intrigued by the, by the title. Yeah. And, and I thought it was perfect that it, that it was a record store because nothing kind of evokes that giddy nostalgia for me. Like the records, thinking about the record stores that I used to go to when I was a kid and, and buying records. And, and this movie is pretty much just about evoking a particular time and a particular place and a particular mood. And it's that mood when you're coming of age and um, perhaps falling in love. And the movie just does a really good job of, of kind of capturing that that feeling. It There's not a, you know, you're right, it's hard to describe the plot. It's kind of chaotic. Um, mm. It's just kind of a meandering movie, but not meandering in a boring way. Um meandering into things that are always unexpected and relationships that are unexpected. And um, yeah, it was just fun to watch these characters um, relate to each other and experience this particular world. Yeah. This movie kind of resonated with me and I realized um, maybe the day after I saw it, that it reminded me of my pretty much my favorite summer of all time, which was the summer of 94. After I just graduated high school, I was just kicking around for two or three months uh, before starting college. And I ended up like, forming these friendships with these people who I hadn't known before. Uh, these were not high school friends or anything. And we just kicked around Champaign-Urbana. We just drove around in cars a lot. We went over to people's houses uh, we watched um, weird movies and we hung out at like uh, uh, fast food joints and we went to the mall and we j- and we went to the house parties at two o'clock in the morning and did stuff we probably weren't supposed to be doing. Sure. And, you know, there's a passage in your review on RogerEbert.com for this, Christy, I wanted to read because it also resonated with me. You say, within the joyful, playful reverie lurks an unmistakable cur- undercurrent of danger. And that was also like my summer. <laughs> I remember, like, I, 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 uh, there was this, there was this guy who uh, was part of the group, or he kind of floated in and out of the group. And I don't know what his real name was, but he went by the name of Ice. And whenever he was around, you were like a little uh, uneasy. And I was thinking of him particularly in the Bradley Cooper segment of, of this movie because his Bradley Cooper's character, which apparently is based on a. A real person. They didn't bother to change the name, John Peters. Yeah, yeah, John Peters is a real guy, and he was Barbara Streisand's boyfriend. He was a hairdresser who became a producer who became Barbara Streisand's boyfriend. Well, yeah, whenever he's on screen, you're on edge because you're like, oh my gosh, what's you know what's going to happen here? Um, 
So, yeah. And also speaking of real people, uh, so Benny Safdie, the filmmaker is in this mm-hmm. and he's a, he's Joel Watts. And apparently, and of course, this is me reading up on this afterward, but apparently they they didn't bother to change the name there either. He was, there was a real Joel Watts. Do you remember yeah. him at all, Christy? I don't remember the, yeah, vaguely, vaguely, because I'm, I was born in 1972 and this takes place in 73. But yeah, that he's a real guy. But do you know who the Gary character is based on? I, I, only because I read up about it afterwards. Uh, why don't you tell us about that? So Gary is based on Gary Getzman, who is Tom Hanks' longtime producing partner. Hmm. And Paul Thomas Anderson was friends with him and heard all these crazy stories about how, you know, he was a former child star and the thing with him delivering a waterbed to John Peter's house, like that actually happened. So some of these adventures, you know, are inspired by the idea of, Gary Getzman's wild childhood, but some of them actually happened. And so one of the things that Gary Getzman was in as a child was Yours, Mine, and Ours, which is the big ensemble kind of family comedy romp that they do a version of here with a Lucille Ball figure here played by Christine Ebersole. So it's sort of a, a playful mixture of reality and sort of heightened fiction, but it's depiction of like the way Hollywood and the entertainment industry are just constantly pervasive and every, everywhere you go, everything you do is very true growing up in the seventies. Like in terms of everyone either works in the business or someone in their family does, or they know somebody who does. I mean, we, it truly is a company town here. And, you know, a bunch of my friends were child stars like the Gary character who had headshots and would leave school early to go to auditions or their mom would schlep them across town for like break dancing lessons or you know, <laughs> singing lessons or whatever it was. So that idea of everyone is someone or they want to be someone or they're like tangentially near someone is very accurate within this kind of dramatically heightened world. Yeah, I... <laughs> I have to admit the the scenes with Bradley Cooper and Sean Penn where they were they were playing celebrities. Mm-hmm. I I was I was a bit I was kind of taken out of the movie for a little bit because I don't know that is not an experience that I would have had. Okay. Um, so I, it feels very Hollywood. It feels very Los Angeles and of its place, which is makes sense with in this movie. But I kept I kept thinking, wow, do people encounter people like this when growing up in Los Angeles? Is this how things roll? Yes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> weird, weird things happen, yes. And I think in the 70s in general, I think weird things were more likely to happen. I mean, we didn't have car seats and seat belts and people smoked <laughs> everywhere. Like, it, just, it was a different time. Things were looser. Yeah, and I will say, as someone who's just your, your very average American Joe who uh, <laughs> took a trip with his mom to L.A. back in 91, mm-hmm. we just happened to walk around Rodeo Drive one day and ran into both James Caan and Suzanne Plachette. So, <laughs> together? Were they shopping together? <laughs> they were not together. They, that's the thing, too. I mean, there were these two different celebrities out and about shopping, you know, independent of each other. So, no, I mean, they're, they're out there. <laughs> they're, they, you know, they... They're doing their thing, so yeah, I, I, yeah, I actually kind of liked both. This this movie has sort of a dreamy quality to it. I know that mm-hmm. I'm not unique in saying that, but that it, it it's obviously you know it's based on certain real events and people, but it also feels like a, almost a bit of a dream. And so, while there's obviously I just like I mentioned earlier, there's parts of it that I relate to. There's also parts of it that I don't. Obviously, with like. 
you know, Sean Penn and Bradley Cooper just showing up. But um, I liked those. They, to me, they felt organic in a way. Um, and of course, I, you know, Sean Penn plays uh, Jack Holden. So they did bother to change his first name because that he's based on, on William Holden. But uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I and I, it's cool too because um, these characters don't overstay their welcomes. You know, um, mm-hmm. they're in a, a scene or two, and and then we move on. Right, leave them wanting more. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. That's, that's the idea. And I was blown away by Alana Hyam in this because this is her first film. She's got to carry it. She's playing somebody who is inherently kind of unlikable in a lot of ways. Like she's surly. She's snappish. She's rude. And I love that about her. Like she's so pissy all the time. And it, her, But her comic timing is so perfect that like you root for her and you want to see her figure it out. What do you guys think about her? Well, I thought she was great. Yeah, yeah. likewise. Yeah. thought she was great. It's only really familiar with her uh, from her music, mm-hmm. uh, or the music suggested with her sister, uh, sisters, the Himes, who are also in this movie. Yes, uh, along with their their parents. Uh, yeah, I, I read too afterward that her dad kind of got to improvise some of his his lines, uh, including the one that he utters when she comes home one night. <laughs> uh, so what? Let me ask you this, Christy. What do you think is going on with the fact that these? Um, these sisters, they're all, I think, supposed to be in their 20s, at least. And they're all, like, living at home. Is that a... Mm-hmm. Do you know what's going on with that? Um, they're nice Jewish girls from the Valley who have just, you know, stayed home with their parents for a while until they got married. Like, it's um, it's uh, it's unusual with my friends' experiences, you know, but they just... It's their little crew, and they're insular, they're tight, and they all decided to just, you know, stay home. So that's what that's about, I guess. Okay. Um, what? Let me ask you this: so What are your thoughts on the the um, the Gary and Alana relationship? Because um, I don't know. I found myself thinking, oh, I don't. I, I think he, I, I liked their characters, but I was like, I don't know if you two are right for each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're probably not, and that's probably part of the inherent friction of it, yeah. right? Is that? He is fascinated by her and she finds herself weirdly fascinated by him, but it's probably not going to work out. I mean, they're constantly at each other's throats. It's very prickly, that friendship, whatever you want to call it. I know a lot of people have a problem with the age gap. And I keep seeing the argument over and over again, like, ah, if the ages, if the, if the roles were reversed and the guy were 25 and the girl were 15, that'd be so gross. It's like, yeah, but they're not. And that's the point. <laughs> That's the story that he is telling. Um, I think he establishes pretty efficiently early on that she's kind of stunted emotionally, developmentally, you know, in terms of like, you know, as you say, she lives at home with her parents still. You know, she hasn't really seen much of the world. She doesn't really know who she is yet at age 25. And he, conversely, is very mature for his age because as they establish, every adult he meets treats him like a grown-up, treats him like an equal, whether it's, you know, the manager at Tale of the Cock or it's casting directors or it's his agent. They all treat him like he's a grown-up. And so he's got this maturity and this swagger. So, And also the whole thing is so chaste. Like nothing happens. And so and people are like, I've been getting so much grief, you guys, from <laughs> people who are like, you like this pedophile movie. I'm like, okay, really? Are, are we going to oversimplify this that much? It's like, no, this is not at all what's happening here. I mean, nothing happens between them. And even when she says, 
Even, even what, she, what happens at the end, those of you who haven't seen it, I'm not going to give it away. Even what she says to him at the end, I'm not sure she even believes that so much as that's like the next role she's trying on, mm-hmm. the next persona she's trying to see if it, if it fits for her. So what do you guys think about the age gap? Everyone's so uptight about it. Yeah, I think you're right. Given these particular characters, you know, just on paper, the age difference seems problematic. But given these particular characters, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem that bad. And and it's not like the movie completely ignores the age difference. I mean, that's kind of a central um, theme and a central conflict here is she's really grappling with the age difference. And is it even possible to make a relationship work here? So I think the movie addresses it and mm-hmm. it didn't bother me. Yeah, no. Um, you know, again, on paper, it sounds bad. But when you actually, you know, I'm glad I watched the movie because I was starting, I was beginning to form an opinion about it without having watched the movie. And I think that's one of the worst things people can do when it comes to a lot of things. But, you know, let's, we're talking about movies right now. So <laughs> is to form an opinion about a movie and not having watched it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, after watching it, I was like, okay, okay, I, I get it. Um, and I, one thing I actually found, I mean, kind of amusing on a very subtle level is i was like they actually go through a lot of the trauma and ups and downs of a relationship without actually being in a relationship Mm. and i'm like wow that sucks (laughs) like you know (laughs) no so yeah um yeah it's this is a it's a really good um kind of you know slice of life summer of 73 film great soundtrack by the way Great right. And that, that, that's something that he does so well, Paul Thomas Anderson. You know, he'll find songs that are evocative of an era without being totally obvious or overplayed or on the nose in terms of commenting on, on what's happening in the action of the film. Um, he, he's, his music choices are always very inspiring. And of course, he worked with Johnny Greenwood again, the great Radiohead guitarist, Johnny Greenwood, who also scored... Phantom Thread, I love his Phantom Thread score. Um, and that sort of creates a feeling of like melancholy, wistfulness, but also there's like a, a, an edge to it. There's like a danger to it, you know, a sadness and a weirdness to it from the very beginning. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty great. I'm glad you guys liked it too. Yeah. What do you give it out of 10, Christy? That's 10 for me, the best movie of the year. I don't give out 10s lightly, you guys. You know that. <laughs> All right. What about I'm you stingy. Uh, I'm going to give it a nine out of 10. All right, and I give it an eight, so our score is a nine, and that is Licorice Pizza. Uh, it's not currently streaming, but uh, it, if you can, if you feel comfortable going to a movie theater, uh, we'd recommend it. Uh, and if not, undoubtedly, it'll be streaming uh, at some point in the future. And so, um, Christy Lemire, you can find her film reviews on RogerEbert.com, and also uh, the show she co-hosts on YouTube and online called Breakfast All Day. Uh, Christy, thanks for joining us. Thank you guys so much. This was so much fun. Thanks for asking. True love seed in the autumn ground. True love seed.